Welcome to Talking Shop, Herbert Smith Freehills podcast series, exploring the latest global trends for consumer sector companies. My name is Susan Black. I'm a competition partner based in our London office. I'm also co-head of our global consumer sector. I'm here today with Alex Kay. Alex is one of our senior corporate partners. He has extensive experience advising on transactions and many years of expertise in the consumer sector. So as we sit here at the start of September 2023, I'm delighted to have the chance to discuss with him some of the trends he's seeing and how they're feeding through to M&A in the consumer sector and for consumer sector clients. Welcome, Alex. Hello. So we've seen a great period of change and uncertainty. COVID, the, the war in Ukraine, inflation. Alex, how in your view have these changes and factors, factors impact the M&A environment? Well, it's certainly true we've seen a downturn in M&A activity in the consumer sector, in fact, all sectors pretty much, over the past 12 months, largely in response to these macroeconomic factors you've mentioned. And these factors have impacted investors' confidence in the sector. PE buyers, private equity buyers, have been particularly deterred by higher financing costs and economic uncertainty. And analysts suggest it's particularly the case in the mid and large cap deal space. Most consumer-focused companies are more likely to be tightening budgets and steering their strategies away from portfolio expansion, although some are pursuing strategic acquisitions to improve their ESG and technology positions, especially where they feel the need to shore up their supply chains following the disruptions which they saw affect global markets early this year. It's worth noting we've also seen retailers come under considerable financial strain as a result of rising inflation, increased interest rates, disruption in the supply chain and refinancing difficulties. This has resulted in a number of rescue deals of failed high street retailers in the UK. Yeah, and we continue to see that as we've seen over the last few weeks. I suspect it will um, continue to be the case. And really, that's my next question, Alex. Do you think these trends, there's a lot going on here, will continue or do you think they're behind us? Well, we're certainly not out of the woods yet, although analysts do predict slightly more M&A activity in the sector in the second half of this year, we're kind of halfway through the second half already, and next year, as the impact of these macroeconomic factors stabilise and the economic outlook becomes brighter. Frankly, I really think we need interest rate rises to peak before activity really picks up. Yeah, and of course, that's something that everyone's watching very closely. But do you you think the consumer sector has been affected more than other sectors or is it just alongside the others? Um, To an extent, yes. I mean, the general unease and uncertainty about the economy and people's real incomes being hit by inflation and rising debt costs have all curbed spending. It's, It's natural and understandable. Businesses are therefore being impacted by consumers cutting down on unnecessary or discretionary expenditure and continuing to trade down and shop at cheaper stores. This cost of living crisis has meant that deals in Europe in this sector have slowed more than in other sectors. Okay, and what about um, some other factors? So the role of online and AI and how these have been shaping the changes? Well, I mean, online continues to march on. Businesses are still looking to produce uh, strategic initiatives. And the priority for most is investing and improving in their online capabilities and presence. That's not going to go away. Reports show there's still a sense of urgency for businesses to invest in direct-to-consumer models and, relatedly, AI to get consumers to spend more and for businesses to find new customers, particularly in 
differentiated demographics, which AI can facilitate. I mean, a recent PwC report says that there's been increased interest from consumer businesses in predictive AI and other IT software used by companies to predict customer appetites and behaviours. So technology is increasingly being used to create a better experience for consumers at the point of decision and the point of sale. And interestingly, that means large companies acquiring small digital nature businesses to implement this. We're also seeing companies engage in technology deals to get more control over their supply chains and become more resilient. One of the reports I mentioned says that companies are seeking access to technology in transportation and logistics as well to get greater control over the end-to-end supply chain. I think a good example of this is Fraser's Group, the UK-based sports retailing company that includes Sports Direct, has significantly expanded its technology portfolio this year, 2023, by acquiring a bunch of companies, including a very significant stake, just under 20% of AO World, which is the e-commerce retailer of household household appliances. Okay, Uh, and I guess just moving on again, um, we see a lot about sustainability and how consumer decisions are affected by questions of ethical consumption. How has this been reflected in the M&A market, if at all? Well, I think it's very interesting that notwithstanding the cost of living crisis, consumers are increasingly focusing their spending power on sustainably produced goods and are more mindful of their consumption levels. A recent insight survey of consumers found 80% of respondents are willing to pay more for these types of products. And that's, as I say, that's a recent survey in the current context and the current um, strictures on, the, on their spending ability. Companies in the food and drink sector which offer um, sustainable packaging or low-carbon production facilities are likely to do well, given this trend, which is only on the increase. And because of that, this feeds through to M&A, where we see increasing numbers of ESG queries raised during the due diligence phase as a key gating item, not a box that just needs to be ticked. In the context of European M&A in particular, the new EU sustainability reporting requirements, which will be rolled out from the 1st of January next year, 2024, and will in time apply to all large companies and listed SMEs, make those companies, oblige those companies to, to disclose information on their societal and environmental impact. Individual countries are also introducing their own ESG reporting and compliance frameworks. And this is likely going to add a further dimension to due, to due diligence reporting which will be key in identifying areas of ESG risk and potential mitigants and ESG opportunity as well. And DD findings may give some corporates reason to pause before making offers for targets which don't share their ESG priorities. Likewise, they may decide to consider divestments of business units which aren't compatible with their long-term ESG goals and which could present reputational and therefore brand risk. So, what that means for M&A processes is that we expect to see greater emphasis on ESG compliance when negotiating warranty packages and covenants, and it's also likely that ESG credentials will impact the overall value proposition. A survey from last year, 2022, showed that almost half of M&A participants would put a premium of 1% to 5% on deal value for a target which showed a high level of ESG compliance. And then how does that sort of tie into the overall appetite for risk and and willingness to do deals at all? Well, the weakening consumer spending power has generally diminished the appetite for big ticket M&A projects. 
and therefore companies are I'd say, sticking, sticking to their knitting. They're instead focusing on streamlining the portfolio through divestments. As I said, we've seen an increase in the number of rescue deals of distressed retailers over recent months. Um, the economic downturn and the collapse of some important brands has shown opportunities for well-funded buyers to capitalise on the availability of businesses that may have decent long-term prospects that significantly reduced valuations. And having, I know I spoke about, we spoke about the increase of online, but for a lot of companies which want to have um, a physical platform, snapping up some of these failed retailers does create an opportunity um, for them to get to scale of presence on the high street or whatever the key location is very quickly. We saw this years ago, for example, when, when the Littlewood stores went bust and ABF snapped up the property portfolio, and which meant that they could really turbocharge Primark, which is now is a big presence, as you'll know. Um, a more recent example, Wilco, a UK-based discount retailer, has gone into administration, and their administrators are looking for bidders to submit rescue offers. Um, next, PLC bought Cat. Gaff Kidston out of admin earlier this year after they also acquired Jules and the IP of Made.com. Um, Tesco bought Paper Chase at the start of the year. And Hunters, the, the, Welling, the Wellies company, went into admin in June due to reduced demand and supply chains. So, in short, there's, there's been a lot of movement, and I imagine it indicates the fact that precarious companies may go to the wall, but those which are strong will take advantage of the opportunities that presents. Yeah, there's definitely been a lot of activity. I, I guess one of the questions, though, is how, if within all this activity, what's the impact on deal terms? So if you're looking at due diligence and conditionality, have you seen a change there? Um, there's obviously, with, with some of the things we've just talked about, um, antitrust will loom larger, but I, I won't, um, won't tell you about that, Susan. You know, know all about that. Um, I'd say we're seeing gap covenants, as in the, the, the regime which governs the period between signing and closing, coming under particular scrutiny, under particular scrutiny, in response in particular to the European Commission increasing enforcement action in response to gun jumping. In other words, implementing a merger too soon. Covenants also continue to be a focus for both buyers and sellers due to the lengthening timelines between signing and closing, resulting from this increased regulatory FDI and antitrust scrutiny. Um, and also the need for buyers to protect themselves and protect the businesses they're about to buy in a volatile geopolitical environment. So standard contractual qualifiers and conduct obligations have seen greater challenge and greater focus. For example, the usual usually mutually acceptable definition of the ordinary course of business has come under the microscope. What is ordinary course when you have a supply chain which is possibly impacted by an ongoing war in Europe? There's also more focus on the working capital adjustments in consideration negotiations. Related to the, um, the supply chain issues, we've also seen the terms of transitional service agreements, runoff contracts to facilitate integration being more hotly negotiated as sellers look to limit the extent and duration of their exposure to businesses which they've effectively divested already and seek to pass through as much of their increased costs as possible to purchases while the contracts are in force. Okay. 
And then I guess sort of looking ahead again, do you see a period of transactions involving consolidation and of spinning off of non-core areas? Definitely. I think the recent market challenges created more opportunities for consumer-focused companies to reshape and refine their portfolios, to get synergies where they can, to cut costs and improve efficiencies. And we expect corporate carve-outs to be the main driver of consumer sector M&A in the near future as businesses figure out what's core and what's non-core in response to the consumer demand as they see it. And given the recent uptick in distressed M&A, businesses are likely to avoid widely diversified portfolios and spin out non-core assets to fend off insolvency and also to make um, their businesses easier to easier for investors to understand. For example, 2022 saw General Mills continue its Accelerate strategy and divest its European dough business to Cerulea, while Diageo sold both its Pecon and Archer's Rinch brand to slim down its liqueur portfolio, as well as its Guinness Cameroon business and its Ethiopian brewery. So companies seem to be simplifying their structures and product portfolios to cut costs and curb value leakage. However, they're still making investments in initiatives around technology and ESG, um, which are required to future-proof their businesses and to bolster and really protect their premium, their, sort of their marquee brands or their marquee elements of their portfolio. Yeah, well, I can see there's, there's certainly a lot going on and looks as if that continues to be the case. So in amongst all this, what, what do you see as the biggest challenge to lawyers and clients in the M&A consumer sector space? Well, I think the continuing economic uncertainty and high cost of debt and continuing inflation, you know, prices are still going up just a bit more slowly than before, has meant that it's harder for buyers and sellers to agree on valuations with sellers likely to be negotiated down and certain assets unlikely to come to the market at all. So uptake in M&A activity in the consumer sector over the next 6 to 12 months will be slow. So the key for lawyers and clients is to be well prepared, quick to execute on the right opportunities and prioritise the most important areas of risk. We also expect to see ESG issues feature more more prominently in M&A going forward. Sellers should therefore be aware and prepared for buyers incorporating broader forward-looking assessments of ESG risks, looking beyond the target to consider the wider business, its supply chains and associated reputational concerns in their diligence processes. This is also likely to seep into the warranty and indemnity packages which are sought, as well as post-completion integration planning. Alex, I think we'll draw a line there, but thank you very much for your insights and for your thoughts, both on what we've already seen and what lies ahead. Um, To those of you listening, thank you very much for joining. I hope you found it helpful. Um, Please keep an eye out for future podcasts in this Our Talking Shop series. Thank you very much. Thanks, Susan.